Okay, everyone, welcome back to Below the Belt Sports. This is our Down the Line series. We got a special guest with us today, Mike Walker, huge Mets fan, uh, lifetime Mets fan. Um, he did win the series this weekend. Mets take two out of three. That's pretty much what we're going to cover uh, the entirety of this episode was the big Subway series. It was kind of a pivotal point for both teams, um, both teams hovering around the 500 mark. Mets kind of falling into a bit of a skid after, you know, they kind of were hanging out in first place for a long time. Nationals creeped up on it a little before the series. Yankees have just been in this kind of purgatory for a long time now. So this was a big subway series for both teams. Um, and, you know, Yankees were fortunate to take one, but it, the Mets kind of, I, I, in my opinion, handedly took this series. Um, Mets now 44 and 37, uh, four games ahead of the Nationals and the Yankees now, 42 and 41, 10 and a half games behind the Red Sox of first place. So, I mean, it's, it's bad news for the Yankees, but I guess good news for the Mets. Mr. Uh, Mike, what were your, what were your takeaways uh, from this series? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said in the intro there. Um, but I felt, I, I felt great about the series. And first of all, as a Mets fan going into the series, I think I was in a better position than you guys as Yankee fans where, you know, I knew that, if the Mets went in and they lost two out of three, it'd be disappointing because of the rivalry, but it wouldn't be catastrophic because, you know, the Mets were, had, had a little bit of a cushion in first place in the division. Um, so yeah, to go into Yankee stadium and take two out of three is great because historically, you know, the, I, I think I heard as of at one point in the weekend, I think the Yankees were 20 games over 500 against the Mets since they started in league play in 97 and I think it was uh, 12 games over at Yankee Stadium. And yes, the Mets haven't had a ton of success there. So to go in and win two out of three, um, you have one, the first win be kind of a route. And then the second one being an exciting cover behind win felt great. Um, and for me, the, the biggest takeaway was it was just great to see um, the Mets bats come to life and just okay. seeing, seeing them string together hits um, you know, get, get a couple home runs, good to see Alonzo get some home runs, but you know, for kind of, for me suffering through suffer, quote unquote, through May when the Mets, most of the regulars were hurt and their backups were hurt and they were trying to win games with the likes of like Janeshwi Fargus and, you know, Khalil Lee and all these kind of real true minor league guys to now have a legit lineup um, and to see the bats come to life felt really good because I feel like now in the second half of the year, the Mets have the potential to, you know, be more of an offensive force because let's be honest, like the Mets, they're in first place, but it, you know, they haven't really been a great offensive team. And so um, very encouraging what I saw this weekend. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think with the Mets this weekend, I think it's what I've been saying about the Yankees since the season started, it still hasn't happened for them, but I think it's happening for the Mets is, the back of these guys' baseball cards are too good. Like when you see a, a Dom Smith come produce in this series, you know, Pete Alonzo hit, hit the two home runs. Uh, Jeff McNeil is a guy who is, is too good of a hitter for this. Francisco Lindor still hasn't really found it. You know, he's more of a second-half player historically. Anyway, their lineup is too good to not hit, and I think that definitely happened this weekend, especially in the first two games. I, Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's funny, that the, the baseball card comment – you made there like I've had some more conversations with Yankee fans where you know, just trying to tell some Yankee fans don't freak out just yet. And I understand 10 and a half out of first place. You're the Yankees. You don't want to be in that position like the, 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 
division crown ship might have sailed um, for you guys. And I know nobody wants to really deal with the one game wild card because obviously it's one game. But as an outsider, meaning like I don't sit around and watch, I don't sit there and watch that many Yankee games. So yeah. I look at what you said, Nick, and I just say, this team has judged, there's Stanton. And then there's people like Glaber Torres, who I know Yankee fans are frustrated with. But like, yeah, these guys, would any of us be shocked if we get to the end of September and they've all had solid offensive seasons and the Yankees are sitting there in the wild card game? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked at all if that happens. Uh, but it is harder to see that when you're watching a team day in and day out and seeing those guys when they're looking their worst. And it's natural to wonder, like, all right, is this just a cold spell or are these guys not as good as they once were? That's And that's what scares me a, a lot. Uh, my, like, it's – I feel like with the Mets struggles, like, there are specific players that are struggling right now that, like, there's been a track record of them being successful. Like, Jeff McNeil, for example. Right. You – he is most likely – I mean, we kind of thought this with DJ, too – but he is most likely going to start hitting again. You know, like, like right. he, he, he's getting back around. Like, I think he's like two around like that 235 mark right, right now. But like, I, I would assume by the end of the season, you know, it's, it's tough to work your way all back to the 300, but maybe, maybe he gets himself around like the 280 mark, give or take. Yeah. Like, you mentioned like Glaber Torres' struggles. Like this has been like a long time coming with him. Like it was last season and now it's kind of transferred itself over into this season. Giancarlo Stan, he's always been a very streaky hitter. Aaron Judge, better this year i think he's been one of the yankees most consistent players but we saw him in his rookie year we saw him in other years where he just forgets how to hit gary sanchez been great right now but we know that at some point probably a cold streak is on its way and like that's the thing like then you have to rely on someone like Gio rochelle who's a great talent great defensive player good hitter but like when he's like leading your offense that's not what this yankees offense was supposed to be he was supposed to be your seven eight guy and it's great when he performs because when all those other guys are probably hitting at a relatively elite level but when he's got to be your three four hitter it, it becomes a problem I feel like with the Mets their offensive struggles are not as deep rooted as the Yankees are facing right now because ideally Lindor he's been a little less than what he was I think at his peak in terms of like OPS and like hitting like that right. year with like 45 doubles or something like that um, I think he's a little less than that, but you at some point expect him to like, there hasn't been any real trend of him being, you know, not a good hitter. So I feel like he's going to probably going to come back. McNeil's probably going to come back. I Alonzo has been a little weird. I think that he will kind of got 15 homers, not bad, but I feel like he'll, he'll get his, you know, real power back at some point. So I feel like the Yankees offensive struggles are a lot more deep rooted than what the Mets have to deal with right now and that's why i think they're in a much better position going forward than the yankees are in terms of you know those offensive problems yeah i i, I agree i don't think because anything wants to add um to that uh but I, I think the only thing i think just the one thing that scares me real quick is just how many variables are kind of moving around the league right now like in regards to the juice balls and then also the the sticky substances with pitchers like i think gary sanchez a lot of his struggles were with high fastballs and you can really trace back as soon as the league started cracking down on foreign substances that he started hitting high fastballs again because the spin rate goes down like right. league wide so I think that helps him Glaber Torres he came up as a guy who was supposed to be a line drive hitter turns into a home run hitter 2018-2019 hits a combined I think 62 homers but we know the ball was heavily juiced those years and now 
the ball is not juiced. I think he's hit nine homers combined the past two seasons or, or maybe even less than that. So it's kind of like, did we just completely screw with him to the point where now he's thinks he's a power hitter and rightfully so he was his first two seasons. And now he's just, is he messed up forever? Are they going to change the balls back after the all-star break? Or does he find that line drive approach that made him a top prospect in the minor league? So I, I think it's so weird, especially with the sticky stuff and Garrett Cole, who we'll get to later and you don't know what he is. So just the fact that there's all these moving variables, I feel like have all affected so many teams in different ways and for the Yankees I just feel like it's just been like horrible almost all the way perfect storm yeah 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 I agree with all that I think just as a baseball fan first putting myself baseball fan for being a Met fan I I do find it a little frustrating that going back to 2019 and now to this year that MLB does make these changes either overtly or covertly that have such impacts on so many players and their performance like you don't see that I don't think you see that in the other major sports, to my knowledge, where you go back two years ago in 2019, and the list of guys hitting 20 home runs is a mile long. Even the list of guys hitting 30 home runs is really long to the point where, you know, it's just not that exciting a thing. And now with the the sticky stuff, it's just random day in June. Oh, yeah, we're going to crack down on that now. Um, And it's not like it's something that, I mean, like teams were definitely providing some level of sticky substances, I think. So it's not like teams were in the dark on this. Um, and so all of a sudden you just, you just, um, yeah, yeah. Put the smack down on the pitchers like that overnight. Does it cause injuries like Tyra Glass? I mentioned maybe, maybe not. Like I, I, I'm not an expert in that matter, but I think to return to what Rob said earlier, when you Rob, you were talking about uh, the Mets lineup and guys, eventually doing what you're what we expect them to do the nice thing for me as a Met fan right now is I'm just worried about winning and I think because we've had so many ups and downs in recent years with 2019's a hitter's year now this year's a pitching year throwing the fact that there's other weird stuff like there's seven inning double headers and so you know I'm not doing as much of the comparing stats from one year to the next or one year to the previous I'm just looking at what do the Mets need to do to win right now? And so when you talk about McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo, um, yeah, if McNeil, if McNeil ends up hitting 260 this year, I'll take it. I mean, he's hitting 230, and hardly anybody's hitting over 300 this year. That's true. That's right? True. So if he's hitting 260, and it's, um, you know, a, a, and it's a, a strong 260, where I feel like he's getting hits in big spots, and it's, um, you, you know, he's, he's getting some extra base hits, hitting a couple home runs, driving runs, getting walks, decent on base percentage, then I feel fine. Francisco Indoor, same thing. And I think like what happened already, it's a sunk cost that's done. So even if he ends up hitting like 240, let's say, for his average for the year, again, if he gets some big hits um, and he has a good second half of the year, that's that's fine. Uh, and Alonzo, Pete Alonzo's not going to hit 53 home runs this year. And, and that's okay. Uh, now, some of it's because he missed some time uh, due to injury, so that hurts. But even, even if he had been healthy, he's not going to hit 53 home runs this year. And I think realistically, I remember telling myself when he was a rookie, say like, all right, Mike, this is great that he's hitting 53 home runs. You can't be disappointed in the future when he, you know, he might never hit 53 again. He might never get deep into the 40s again. And that doesn't mean that he's a bad hitter. It just could be that this was his best year. Um 
so yeah, I'll let you guys take it from there. I, I was going to say a lot of time. I mean, that quick point, just a lot of times, like you find that uh, player's best year is their rookie year, just for yeah. the fact that the league hasn't adjusted to them. And you see that all the time in football, you know, like these guys, these rookie running backs come out of the, out of the draft, run for 1200 yards. You draft right. eighth overall in fantasy. They never run for 800 yards again. You know what I mean? Like Steve Slayton, like, you know what I mean? Like that guy, right. <laughs> that, Great I drafted him so high. And then like, <laughs> it's because talent it's, it's like you got the talent but then you have to have the baseball iq where you can learn to adjust to pitches and it's not just being coached it's being able to like little things like this like recognize spin rate off the ball uh understand pitch sequencing you know it, you know in terms of being a hitter it's all these like these little different things that like if you don't adjust like your talent's really not gonna take you as far as you might have expected to after your rookie year so you're good point yeah and i think also to your point i think i mean the mental strength these players have to have to make these adjustments is just enormous. And, and no, let's be clear. Every professional athlete has incredible, incredible mental strength. I mean, to get to the, they've obviously got the physical skills and the physical gifts, but to make it to this level, they have to handle some setbacks, but they're definitely guys who get to the major leagues and haven't had like a ton of adversity yet. You know, some of them, they might've come up oh, through yeah. the ranks, you know, like they dominate a little league, dominate high school, dominate college, dominate the minor leagues. And so now all of a sudden, you know, oh, it's like, okay, even, yeah, I might have done well to start my ML, MLB career. Now it's my second year. It's my third year. The league is adjusted. The pitchers know how to fit, how to pitch to me. I'm hitting 210. I'm not hitting the home runs like I was before. How do I handle that? You know, do I just, you know, do I, do I go up to the plate now feeling defeated before I already – you know, before the pitch even comes, because I mean, you can't hit a major league pitcher if you're already feeling defeated. So I think that th that mental aspect is big. Uh, yeah, and I think this is a good transition over to the Yankees, actually. And we, you know, we talk about people like Glaber Torres, and it's like maybe that guy is or Glaber right now is figuring that out. I mean, we forget that we have such high expectations for this guy. He's only 24. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. He's, a, like, he's a year older than us. Do you know what I mean? Like that. It's crazy. Like that. That is. There's so much mental adjustments on top of the fact that Rob Manfred is fucking with all of them and changing the ball every, every right. year that he, he's got, he's got to play a game, you know, play the, <laughs> the hardest sports ever. Exactly. Um, and, and now he's got to deal with all these other facts and the fact that he's 24 got to deal with all these adjustments that he was going to have to make anyway. And it's, it's, it's really difficult. So, I mean, we're Yankee fans are in the process of deciding whether we're supposed to be selling or not um and you know glaber torres is kind of at the forefront of that discussion right now because of his potential right. value and you know he it, that's just a lot on this kid's plate and i don't want to totally give up on him because he is going through these mental games of where you got to figure it out where you know what is like nick said line driver approach home run hitter what is he and he maybe he doesn't know until he's 27 28 when you're supposed to be in your prime not everyone can be tatis and be a superstar at 22 <laughs> you know it's it's not always possible it's funny hearing you say that because I think back to um, Ahmed Rosario when he came up, he came up in 2017, but like 2017 and 2018, his first full year and Met fans, a lot of Met fans were on Rosario's case because he didn't come up and, you know, be like A-Rod in his prime on from day one, which I think all Met fans were hoping that that's what he was <laughs> going to be because, you know, I mean, it's New York, every, every Met and Yankee prospect is touted as the greatest player of all time is what he's going to be. Oh, yeah. um, and, and, but I remember making a comparison 
at the time, and you, you can remind me when Glaber came up. I don't remember. Um, Twenty. He, he came up in eighteen. Okay. Yeah. So he came up in 18. So actually, to be fair, then my Rosario comments were more 18 and 19, where Met fans were upset that he hadn't amounted to that much yet. And I'm saying, hey, you know what? I think people are unfairly comparing him to Glaber Torres because Glaber came up and was so good right away. And it's unreasonable to expect guys to come up from the minor leagues and just dominate right away. And so that's the comparison I'm using, saying Ahmed Rosario don't compare him to somebody as great as Glaber. And now we're not, you know, we're two years later and it's already, oh, Yankees got to get rid of Glaber. Or not, you guys aren't saying that, but there are Yankee fans who are saying that. No, absolutely. And I, I think you hit on an important point, especially playing in New York. I think fan expectations and kind of narratives can drastically shift. I mean, even when it comes to Garrett Cole, you know, I know it's very frustrating. You look at the last two starts, you know, this weekend, he, him and our oldest Chapman collectively lost a game that we should have won. The offense gets four runs off Marcus Stroman, who's been fantastic this right. year, and he can't get out of the fourth inning. But at the same time, do I blame him for having to figure out, you know, he's been using this spider tag stuff the last four seasons that he can't on a dime figure out how to be still the same Garrett Cole. No, realistically, you got to give him a couple weeks, but it's harder to do that when you're 10 games out of first place. You know, maybe if we're in the Mets spot and we're four games up, we're a little bit more patient with that same thing with Gary I feel like with Gary it's you know since he'll never be probably what he was in 2016-17 again where he was this world beater you know like 280 hitting catcher 35 homers like you don't get that from the catching position so people can't realize like if you can hit 230 and hit 25 homers and not have a brutal pass ball every other game like that is extremely valuable from the catching position and then you know we, we spoke on Glaber before where now I feel like it's, oh, he's been bad for two years. Well, he played, he's been bad for 60 games and right. roughly another 60 games. So, like, yeah, maybe that's one bad season, bad chunk of a season. Yep. So, it's, it's hard to have patience for these guys, I think, when they play in New York. We're so used to it. We grew up with, you know, the Jeters, the A-Rods, and on your, you know, the David Wrights, whoever you want to compare it to on the Mets end. And there's expectations on both of these teams. So, I, I think that it's tough to be as patient with these guys as we should when we're expecting the things from them that we are especially with yeah especially with the offseason that both of these teams have we were expecting you know Yankees didn't make massive moves this year but you know we were expecting them to be one of the best teams coming in and Mets you know had a whirlwind of an offseason you know uh you know obviously who they did yet and who they didn't get um but you know you got Lindor and you were like okay let's do this you got Carrasco let's do this you know so expectations were high this year coming into it and then you know they definitely had to be tempered down a little bit right Oh, yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, and, and I think when we, the three of us talked in, in March, um, and we were talking about, I think we talked about how to handle looking back at last year, the 60 game season. And I think I mentioned that, you know, I, I didn't put that much stock in it. Like I wasn't really going to devalue people because they had bad 2020s and so on. And as we progressed into this season, I still kind of take that same approach where it's, it was, Last year was just a blip and it kind of, you know, it, it can help enhance a viewpoint. You know, so like you guys said, if somebody is not doing well this year and was also bad last year, then, you know, we, you can put that all into the same argument, but I don't put too much stock in last year. Um, yeah. It's funny, you brought up, uh, you're bringing up David Wright and you're bringing up the, the past stuff like that. And, Remind me of something, Rob, you were talking about before with Gio Urshela. This is a slight tangent back to what you are talking about before, but how you say now Urshela, you don't want him carrying the load. You know, you, you, you want like other guys, 
Like he's not meant to carry the load. It's and great actually, he does, but he's not meant to, yeah. He's not meant to. And that made me think of David Wright because as much as a lot of people on baseball think of David Wright face of the Mets for most of this millennium. But when I look at the Mets of the late double zeros and the early 2010s, um, like the best hitters on those teams to me were Reyes, Beltran, and Delgado. Delgado was just there 06, 07, 08. David Wright put up some monster numbers in 06, 07, 08. Uh, but I think it really helped him that he was the, he was usually the number five hitter and the other pitcher had to worry, pitcher had to worry about all those other guys. Um, and then I think I saw in the early 2010s, once the Mets didn't re-sign Reyes, they traded Beltron, Delgado had already retired, that David Wright was a nice player, but he wasn't really a, so much of a focal point of the lineup player. I think like 2012, he did start the year awesome as the guy, but after that, he never really played like that superstar again. And I think David Wright's a better player than Gio Urshela, mm-hmm. but it's a similar feel though. There are guys who are used to having that, that superstar spotlight on them and having the pitchers go into the game saying, I need to figure out how to get this guy out. Um, and that is your judge. That is your Stanton. But once Rochelle gets into that position, you know, can he handle being the guy that the other pitchers have to worry about with the pitchers really focus on the most? I don't know. Some guys need protection in the lineup. It's, it's, yeah. it's that simple. Some guys need to be, the guy who gets the the grooves fastball or the hanging slider that like and they can take advantage of that and that's great they can do that and hit 270 and it's and it's awesome they can hit for 20 home runs but you know not when the rest of the lineup is not even coming close to their peak like that's when you kind of find the rest of the lineup is going to fall short too like you know Brett Garner having a god awful season although I think he's bad anyway <laughs> I don't think they should have signed him but you know like that's it's when the top guys are not performing well, the rest, it's going to get trickle down effect. It's going to hurt the rest of the lineup. And that's where, that's where I think we're making the Met Yankee comparison over. What I think the advantage the Mets have is that, uh, yeah, they've got right now more balance in their lineup. And it's like, I don't feel like there's any one guy in the lineup or any two guys who have to be hitting in order for the offense to succeed. You know, like if Lindor and Alonzo are slumping for a couple of weeks, it's not a good thing but I don't feel like it's catastrophic. Like, I feel like, all right, they got Nimmo back. They got Dom Smith. They've got, you know, Conforto. They've, they've, they've got enough guys who are still going to hit that it's not the end of the world un- unless they have like six or seven guys who are all not hitting. And of course, then that would be problematic. Yeah. 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 The Yankees just all slump at once. Like right. literally everyone at once besides yeah. Aaron judge, Aaron judge has been consistently good. Everyone else has had maybe a week. Right. <laughs> That's what we've been saying all season is like the everyone in the Yankees lineup is bad except for one guy at a time. They literally have taken turns one guy at a time just being red hot. And then the rest of the lineup just stinks. They win that one guy wins them like three or four games and they go back to being the normal guy. They wait for the next guy to get high. And then between that right. little stretch, they just suck for a few games. And <laughs> right now I think we're waiting for someone to get red hot again. Cause Gary, I mean, Gary has still been good. He hasn't been as red hot as he was, but that was nearly impossible to keep up. Of course. Right. But it, but it, it, it could happen. I mean, I know the Yankees have, ten, uh, they have a big stretch after the all-star break, right? They have the Boston, Seattle, Houston, I think, and maybe not in that order, but I think they have that as their road trip. And obviously that could bury the Yankees, but they could also go come out, go like seven and three hit well. And all of a sudden now you're heading toward the trade deadline thinking, let's add some pieces. And it's not, 
you know, it's not the craziest thing in the world for that to happen. Yeah, eight of their first 10 after the All-Star break are against the Red Sox. So one okay, way or exactly. another, we're, yeah. we're really going to know kind of what the fate of this team is. You go eight and two, and suddenly you're kind of back in the thick of it a little bit. You go two and eight, and you are 15 games out, and the season is undebatably over. Oh, right. yeah. Now, where do, how would you guys quantify it as far as where they have to be in, let's say, the wild card race and division race if you want to throw it? in there you could do that too but what would make the Yankees sellers at the deadline what would make them buyers and what would make you just say stand pat my uh, uh, Nick I'll go first I think you're gonna have a longer answer for this one my number for this whole season has been eight eight games behind I feel I I think it's a mental state um right. I, I just I just feel like that's always a number that I've seen in the past I remember with the Blue Jays specifically a few mm-hmm. years ago they felt like eight games out in like it was like Mar not March um it was like probably like mid-May or end of May. And it was kind of like, yeah, like they just like looked defeated the rest of the season. Every time you played them, it was like eight games out. We're not coming back for that. It's too hard. You have to go, right. you have to get too hot. So like my number has always been like, that has always stuck in my head like that season because they were supposed to be like one of the favorites coming out of the AL. Similar to the Yankees this year, they fell eight games out and they just never recovered. Um, I th- that's so I can kind of find myself with that eight games behind number if they're right around there. And I think, I think, my opinion, that's a little too um, low. I think you can probably be 10 or 11 and be right. like, you know, like we still got to at least try. But eight games in my head is like, you know what? You're not doing this. The Rays, I mean, even without glass now, probably still too good. And the Red Sox have not have shown no signs of slowing down. They're pitching after this whole crackdown has been one of the best in baseball. So there's like, it's not like I really don't see them slowing down at all. Eight games behind that team, you're not coming back. That's not that's – your eight, when you say eight games, you mean eight games out of the division or eight, eight games, games out, out of first card? place? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So and I could, I could put you around four or five in the wild card, give or take, depending right. on how the Rays do, because I think they're yeah. half back. Um, but I mean, like, I don't know. I still feel like with the, like the middle of the AL right now is so just like average. Like you're still going to find yourself like just in a weird place. Like you might as well just make a decision one way or the other. So right. I, I think my eight games is a little too much though. Eight games out of first place. So uh, Nick, I'll let your numbers go. No, but it's yeah, a good, good say like, framework. Yeah, I was going to say like seven. I mean, it's so tough. Really, for me, it's it's not even as much a numbers thing as much as it is like they just need to play better baseball going into the break. Like we've seen them put together a week, two-week stretch. Like I thought they were fully back when they took two of three from Oakland and they swept Toronto on the road. I was like, you know what? These are good teams. Right. They're beating, you know, it's starting to come together a little bit. And then they end up getting gut punched and get swept by the Red Sox again and have this brutal week at home against the Angels and uh, and, and you guys. So it's a, I think they just need to, you know, really they would need to win both those series against the Red Sox for me, whether it's three out of four or a sweep. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the tougher thing for me is deciding what is buying and what is selling because right. I don't see them going over the luxury tax. And at the same time, I don't see them completely tearing it down. So I think the deadline – kind of no matter what they do between now and then is really going to be a, a tough, a tough call. Yeah, I could, I could see it. But Mike, what, what's your move for the match? Like, what do you want them to do at the deadline? Cause I feel like they're in a good spot right now. Yeah. They got it. They definitely got to do something, but what do you think that, that like, if you had like, let's, let's say one move that like, yeah. like, let's say you can't, you can't get everything done similar to yeah. the offseason. Like you can only got, okay, we got our Lindor Carrasco. We got our guys. You know, at least we did like something that was really beneficial for the team. What what is your one move at the deadline? Well, it's it's adding a, a starting pitcher. Um, really, and I would just 
say generally best available. So it is, with there still being, um, you know, three weeks, a little over three weeks until three and a half weeks till the trade deadline, remains to be seen what teams will really be out of it and looking to trade starting pitchers. You know, I heard somebody, um, I forget who it is, on one of the stations earlier today actually talk about like Kyle Hendricks, for example, like if the Cubs fall out of the race. They lost uh, like 11 in a row now, yeah. Right, exactly, so free. they keep free falling. No, just to like, I, I realize that Kyle Hendricks right this year is not Kyle Hendricks of five years ago. I'm not expecting, and that's fine, I'm not expecting the Mets to go out and find like a Cy Young award candidate but, you know, the Mets starting pitching has been, has been great. Obviously, I mean, DeGrom, Stroman, Walker, it's awesome to have those three guys. And then, you know, we, we've been hoping that either Carrasco or Syndergaard would kind of be back by this point. They're not. And so I think realistically, you know, I, I don't think any Mets fan can expect anything out of those guys. Like anything that the Mets get out of either of those guys in 2021 is gravy, um, but I don't expect it. So it's, I think most teams have questionable number five starters or, you know, they, maybe they do bullpen games, yeah. stuff like that. So just to get in with, with actually David Peterson had been the four starter and he'd been disappointing after last year. He'd been getting his act together um, a little bit lately, but now he's hurt, but it'd be great if the Mets could just bring in another legitimate ML, MLB starting caliber pitcher, somewhere from a standard, like two to four starter, if you will. Yeah, you don't have to sell the farm for, but can it be can be good? Can be good. Right, exactly. And that guy just has to be the number four. And then Peterson comes back, he's the number five. Um, you know, I know teams usually are always looking to bolster the bullpen. Mets bullpen's actually like pretty solid. I mean, of course, I would I would take more bullpen arms. Every team would take more bullpen arms at the deadline every year. I mean, that's pretty much a given. You, you get who you can, even if he's not having a great year. You hope maybe you get, you know lightning in a bottle, like sometimes yeah. it works. Like the Mets get Tyra Clippard in 2015. He does well until he self-combusts in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The Yankees get Tyra Clippard in, what was it, 2017? 2017. He self-combusted like right away. No, he, was he self-combusted right away. <laughs> he didn't waste any early time. in right. 2017. Yeah. yeah, I'd say like I've just – you just you don't always know what you're going to get though. I mean, I've seen – I've just seen it so many years with, with the Mets that I don't – you know, I've seen it work. I've seen it not work with so many guys. So I'll take a flyer on any reliever and hope for the best. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the lineup, if the Mets have enough position players that if, if guys are healthy, they actually are going to have more guys who are capable starters and they know what to do with. They have a strong bench. So I'm not looking to make a major move, uh, make a move there, unless it's something like, you know, like, like again, we're talking about the Cubs. Like the Cubs say, all right, we're going to shop Chris Bryant. You know, like something like that. Then I say, okay, yeah, like I like J.D. Davis, even though he's been hurt most of the year. VR is a nice player, but if you're telling me the Mets can bring in Chris Bryant to play third base, let's do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, um, you know, I'm not, not if I'm the Mets GM, like I'm not beating down doors trying to get help with the position mm-hmm. players at this point. Yeah. I, I like I like Kyle Gibson for you guys too out of Texas. I think he'd be yeah. – yeah, coming out. I mean, Texas is obviously going to be sellers at the deadline. He's been one of their best pitchers. He's got like a two ERA this year. So you could probably get him for, I mean, he's the ace right now, but like on a bad squad. I think you can get him for a little less than you would Hendricks. You yes. know, at a premium for this year, but you know, he's pitching well. So who knows? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that Gibson, I think, would be a, a great acquisition. And that, I think that 
like Gibson's probably the most likely guy that the Mets would get because um, you know you figure. I don't think I don't think the Cubs are as bad as they've shown the last nine games. Nobody's as bad as they are when they look their worst. Nobody's as good as they are when they're their best. So you know the Cubs will probably have a good stretch in them, and yeah, you know, they might get closer to the to being the wild. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting because like you see both in both leagues where you know the, the wild card race. If you're not in the NL West or the AL East, you know, the wild card ship has kind of sailed for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, the Cubs really looking more at the division. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's always another interesting thing I've thought about a lot this weekend, though, with the Mets and the Yankees is you just switched their divisional standings. It'd be interesting to see how our perspectives would change because Different I think the Mets are three games better than the Yankees. So if the Mets are sitting in the AL East and they're whatever they are, and then seven and a half games or six and a half, seven and a half games out of first. Or if the Yankees are now in the NL East, the Yankees will be in first place in the NL East with their record. You know, I might be the one sitting here saying, well, you know, DeGrom's having a legendary year, but the Mets have battle injuries and hopefully they get the wild card, but it might not be their year. And you guys might be more likely, you guys might be saying, well, you know, the Yankees haven't hit well, but hey, they're in first place and primed for a second half run. I don't know. Right. No, I agree with you. I think the only difference is, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is year one kind of almost for Mets fans where this is year one under Co. and it's the first time yeah. in, you know, since the late 2010s or late um, 2000s that those teams you mentioned that ownership really spent and went out and tried to improve the team. So I think you're saying, all right, maybe not this year, but, you know, Steve will go out and sign, you know, XYZ and the offseason will be back. Whereas for us, regardless this is year five of this core now you know it, it right, was four true. years ago they were game away from the world series and they haven't been that far since so 100 percent standings you're always going to feel better if you're in first place than if you were you know five yeah. six seven games back of first place but i think in general this year there was so much more on the line for yankee fans than there were mets fans even though both teams came in with you know high expectations of winning you know the division and possibly more I, I agree. Yeah, I think it's for, for me as a Met fan, it's probably more akin to you guys in like 2017 or something like that, where it's just like, hey, it's 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 great that the yeah, you know, it's a fun team to root for. And uh, I'm not saying the Mets are doing better than I've expected. They're not doing better than I would have expected when we talked in March. But considering the injuries that they had in May, they are doing better than I would have thought. Absolutely. Yeah, well, given, given the uh, circumstances that actually happened, they, right. I think the Mets have done a really good – and I actually <laughs> asked this question. I mean, we're, we're almost out of time, but I actually asked this question at the beginning of the season. Like, I was like, what is Luis Rojas? Like, what kind of manager right. is he going to be? And I think he's been really, really good. You know, his bullpen usage has been solid. I think he made some odd decisions uh, with usage of the ground in the beginning of the season, um, you know, kind of related to some – you know, fell into the lineup decisions too. Um, but I think he's been a pretty good manager, and he's kept them above water. We didn't, we didn't have a feel of what Luis Rojas was going to be, and like he, I think he has actually turned into a very good manager. I think he manages the clubhouse well. I hear him on like Carton and Roberts sometimes. He actually manages the press very well. Um, you know, like a friendly guy. It seems like you know he jokes around, but doesn't give away any information. I like that. Um, so I, I think overall, he's been a really good um you know sign higher whatever you want to call it for the match and I think he's done a really good job keeping this team while all these injuries have happened throughout the season kept them in first place you know like you said it's really only like seven eight games above 500 and you know if the Yankees and Mets flip-flop it might be a different situation but regardless you deal with the cards 
that, you know, like you have in front of you and he's done a really good job with it so far. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I look at uh, kind of my thought with modern managers is that I feel like there is not a huge difference between the best managers and the worst in 2021 baseball, just because, you know, GMs have such a say in what managers do when they're so everything's so analytically driven. So I think that, um, yeah, I, so I, my thought is that over 162 games, I think that a manager maybe will affect a team's record by, let's say, five or six games. I don't think that much more. Whereas I think generation ago, you know, somebody like Bobby Valentine with the Mets, not, not Red Sox Valentine, but Mets Valentine was great. And he really did a lot of moves to really maximize uh, weaker lineups and so on. So I think there was a time where a good manager could maybe be, make like a 10 game difference positively and a bad manager, 10 games negative. But to your points about Rojas, yeah, I think that in modern base, modern MLB, I think that the, the managing the press and the managing the egos of the players are really the biggest thing. Yeah. Just because like you, you had actually mentioned DeGrom before also with the decision with DeGrom and, you know, I'm sometimes frustrated when they take DeGrom out early, stuff like that, but I, that's not really a Rojas criticism. I don't believe that Rojas is ever unilaterally making decisions on when to take DeGrom out. I think, I think DeGrom is always in on it. Like I think that DeGrom is a say, I think that, um, and, and I think that somebody higher up in one way or another is in on those discussions also. And, and I just look like, like every manager will make pitching changes that I disagree with. It's yeah. just, it's inevitable. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's, because the pitch is bad at some point, yeah. <laughs> right, I'm always using it as a baseline where I say, like, I'm mad about this decision, but with a different manager, what's the likelihood that the same decision gets made? And it's usually, like, 60-40 either way. Like, it's not usually an egregiously bad decision. It's just, uh, like, oh, I would have left the pitcher in. Or usually with me, it's I would have left the guy in longer, not taking him out sooner. That's just my way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you about the, the press thing. Um you know, just like little things like a couple of days ago, a reporter asked Rojas, you know, like, are you glad the Mets didn't sign Trevor Bauer? And, you know, just good job not taking the bait, not walking into yeah. a trap where you could get in trouble and just saying, and his answer was, I'm really glad we signed Taiwan Walker. And Perfect answer. Perfect answer. And it might seem so basic and easy to say. But I don't know. I feel like it, it would have been easy to walk into the trap and then it's kind of a damn if you do, damn if you don't thing once you start talking about Trevor Bauer. And so, yeah, he, he's, he never gets himself in trouble for what he says. And the players seem to like him. And, um, you know, and for, really best thing I could say about him is for the most part, I don't think about him. Like, I don't think about the manager. And that's usually a good place to be. Oh yeah, Nick. How often we get frustrated about Boone? Literally every, every single every single game, every game. And I, I think and I agree with you, Mr. Walker. I think, especially in modern age baseball, a lot of decisions aren't coming from the manager necessarily. Like I see Yankee fans like when it's like, oh, you know, Aaron Judge needs a rest day tonight, and they're like, oh, Boone, why would you doing this? Right. I'm sure Aaron Boone wants to put Aaron Judge's name on the lineup card 162 times. I would agree. Like, he's not trying to sit him. <laughs> That's like organization saying, hey, he's played 13 games in a row let's sit him where I get mad at Aaron Boone is not putting his own guys in the right position to succeed. Like it's easy to say in retrospect because it takes uh, or all the Chapman one batter to blow the save on Saturday <laughs> in the first game of the Mets series. But at the same time, it's like, 
a little bit of common sense. Chad Green just threw two pitches. He's been our best reliever this year, either him or Jonathan Loisega. You know, you've trusted him for years. And Chapman, the last time we saw him on a mound, he blew a four-run lead on, on Wednesday night against the Angels. Like, this guy – and he's been getting teed off on for months. It wasn't like a one-time thing. He blew the, the Twins game. He's had a couple other close calls. So, it's just like, just get this win, and then we'll figure out game two. We'll figure out game two. Like, I have people coming back to me today saying, oh, well, Chad threw three innings in game two. It's like, game two, you're facing Corey Oswald. Like, you right. should be trying to put up – enough runs where it doesn't matter who's throwing your fifth, sixth, seventh innings. Like get the, get the first win while you can, especially the way the Yankees are going. So for Boone to not only make that move and say straight up, yeah, I want to save Chad for game two. Like, it's just, you can't be making those kinds of managerial mistakes in year four for me. I agree. And I think you, you guys have probably heard me say this many times over the years, where I just am a big proponent of let once a guy is shown that he's pitching well, leave him in because Yes. It's just, and this is a Michael K point that I always agree with that the more pitchers you go to, the more likely it is that somebody's not going to have it. Um, and that includes your closer. And Rob, you are a pitcher, so you can probably appreciate it much better than I can. I was never a pitcher, but some days you have your good stuff and some days you don't. And so you bring in Chad Green, he, he does the job. It's just to me, and this is something a lot of managers get wrong, in my opinion, but I say leave, leave him in, in that spot. And you're right. Like the, um, yeah, you, you don't know how the second game would play out um, without Chad Green available. But without Chad Green available, the Yankees still have that lead. And now maybe they piece it together differently. Um, you know, who knows how it goes differently. But the fact, just because Chad Green worked well for three innings in the later game doesn't mean that it was the right decision in, in the first game. Yeah, and, and who's to say some other reliever, reliever can't step up and, pl and play a good role in the next game? You know what I mean? That's how you figured out that Johnny Loisaga is a really good pitcher because you let him step up in certain situations. Who else, If Chad Green, you use Chad Green to get that win, maybe someone else steps up in the next game and shows you something. Now you got a good next reliever for you know the rest of the season, someone who now can prove that they can do well in a big spot that maybe hasn't gotten a chance to do that, if you even need that because Corey Oswald's throwing that game. You know, like that. That's what I, I'm all in on you in terms of leaving the guy in. You know what you're going to get in this moment. Stop worrying about later. It's like, it's like the whole playoff ad. It's like, oh, yes. you can't get to game seven before you win game six, that thing. This is obviously not as um, big as that. It's not as detrimental as game seven of a, of a playoff <laughs> series. It doesn't. It's not like that. But, like, it's that same principle. It's like you don't know what you're going to need next game. Figure it out. You Look what's in front of you right now. I think that's where that's where I don't like the analytics part of baseball because I think you yes. kind of lose sight of what is right in front of you, you know. And, and that's and that's why it's great having all those numbers available. But you're not, you're not looking at the play and you're not looking at what situations are literally, like, literally slapping you in the face. Throw, drag, throw Chad Green, please. <laughs> well, I think we've talked about this before, too, where – Analytics are great, but these guys aren't robots. And you have to realize that a guy's career stats or even his current year stats are not automatically indicative of what he has today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, again, we think about, we've played on teams, you know, you've known sure plenty of games where you, there's a great hitter on your team, maybe in Ramsey, but you know, you saw him, well, you can see necessarily have batting practice, but you could tell like he's off today. He's in a bad mood. He had a fight with his girlfriend, you know, all those types of things where, <laughs> It's just, yeah, you don't feel like it's his day and that stuff does matter. And it's funny, you were talking about, you said, oh, well, you know, it's not the playoffs right now. It's not, but I did think of Sunday as playoff-esque because- Oh yeah. 
you know, even though like it's kind of cliche to say that the, the subway series has lost its luster a bit. I feel like we've been saying that every year since the first year of the subway series yet every year I'm pumped for it. And I feel like mm-hmm. Mets and Yankees, like we all look forward to those games. It means something to win those games. And there are also people who thought that Boone might've been managing for his job on Sunday. So even if it wasn't a playoff team game for the Yankees, you know, if, if there was any truth to that premise, then Boone should have definitely felt like it was a day of playoff games. Yeah, and not to use – this is the most overused phrase on Yankees Twitter, that if George were alive, because people right. like to ignore what happened in the 80s when George was very much alive and very much in control. But, yeah, no, the 4th of July playing the Mets at the stadium, that should mean a little something, especially you get embarrassed 8-3 yeah. the day before – Every game, it's not the playoffs, but every game honestly counts for the Yankees at this point. They really need to stack as many W's as they can. It's it's the boss's birthday. You know, I, I know he passed 10 years ago. Right. It it's should a big, mean a, a little something. Guys. It should. It should have. Yeah, and I think that there is I, – I think that that symbology and that big moment stuff is good for baseball because 162 games over six months, it can be monotonous. And so mm-hmm. you want to have some of those – those big signature wins and it's like i look back at like the 99 mets and you guys are a little too young for this but it was the yankees coming off the incredible 98 season one of the best seasons of all time having won two out of the past three world championships and mets have a thrilling walk-off win at shea against matt and rivera matt franco gets a two-run single with two outs in the bottom of the ninth and like that's something when i think about that 99 mets season and I think about their playoff run. They have the exciting, they, they win the uh, wild card tiebreaker. They win the division series dramatic fashion, come back from down three against the Braves to force game six and lose dramatically in game six. But nevertheless, I look fondly upon that season. And when I think of that regular season, it's that, that win against Mariano that always sticks out. It didn't feel like one out of 162 games. Like that felt like more than that. And so could the Mets have, you know, still ended up going on their playoff run if they hadn't won that game? You know, they would have had to win one more game because they finished tied for the wild card. But yeah, sure, they could have. But you need some of those those big moment wins to kind of give you a little bit of that boost. These guys aren't completely robotic. Yeah, and, and Mr. I, 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 I feel like I kind of lean a lot more towards like the existential like theory yeah. baseball you know and i think that it's like wins like that it's how the yankees had the the thumbs down thing and what, what was that right. 2017 nick right i think it was 2017, 2017. yeah 2017. it's those existential things of baseball where a team feels like they have an identity they feel like that we're like okay we are this type of team um the 2018 yankees they were a guy the a team riddled with injuries they had that next man up every guy who felt like okay great this is my turn today this team has been everyone else has been next man up. I got to be next man up too. You know, I feel like that's where the Mets kind of this year, I feel like they have an identity because they have all those injuries. They feel like, Hey, we just got to find a way to win the Yankees right now. They don't have their identity. And like, it's, I know it's so existential. It's so like, Oh, shut up. Like, it's like, it's not real. Like look at the numbers. Like they, they're doing this round they're slugging all this, but like, where is like that? Like, um, that momentum, where is that coming from? And I think that comes from maybe having injuries or having big walk-off wins, little things like that. And that's why, why I hate when Boone punts the games and they lose right. things like that because <laughs> you, you lose all momentum that you could have potentially had. Yeah, I, yes. I, 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 yeah, I agree with all that. I think that there's like, like we've said, there's, there's a balance, a balance between 
all the analytics, which are, which are great. Like there's a lot of stuff that, you know, there are times where I'll watch some, some retro games, you know, from like 86 Mets or something like that. And think, Oh, that was a bad decision. Like, well, like it's just so basic nowadays not to do that, but the pendulum has definitely swung further away from, yeah, a little too far in that other direction. Um, 100%. 100%. I think about like the 2011, I know we're talking more about Mets and Yankees here, but think about a team like the 2011 Cardinals with probably the most mathematically improbable world championship of all time. Like, yeah. we're just looking at, you know, the fact that they, um, I mean, that, that, that was one of the most incredible nights that I ever saw in baseball was the last night of the regular season because you had the Red Sox with the incredible comeback law. Orioles' incredible win against the Orioles. Orioles against the Red Sox, sorry. Yeah. Rays coming back down 7 nothing against the Yankees. Yeah. For, so the Rays could catapult the Red Sox into the, uh, the wild card. And then same thing in the National League where you, the Cardinals needed a miracle um, I think it was a miraculous brave loss, something like that. But anyway, get to the World Series. I mean, they're down two, bottom of the ninth, game six, down to the last out. You know, they get the hit that Nelson Cruz probably could have caught. But then they're <laughs> down two again in the next inning. Um, and just the string together these hits, and it's just like something's going on here. You know, like yeah. it's, uh, you know. You, you, you need the magic, you know? You got the magic, right. Word it's, for- it's, that, it's that stupid existential thing. It's like it's like the angels in the outfield aspect of, of baseball. But I, I firmly believe that that matters. And oh, especially, like you said, over the course of a regular season, you need something that makes you feel like you're a team. And I feel exactly. like the – I mean, hopefully um, – I know Aaron Judge called a players meeting the other day, Nick, but I feel like, you know, maybe that kind of sparks something. Um, maybe give it a week. Hopefully things start to pick back up. But, you know, I feel like that they're missing that that angels in the outfield aspect, if you want to – if you if you will, you it know. Is, and and what I was going with the uh, – yeah, it's Ty Bowen with the angels in the outfield. Is, it's really the angel idea is just when the Cardinals got that second inning, you know, the 10th inning now – Guys are thinking, all right, let me get a hit. Like, I know that we're one out away from losing the World Series, but, you know, we win these games. Like, we just did it last inning. We're going to do it again. And that's the type of thing where, um, you know, I think sometimes you, you need that. These, even these great players need that little oomph when their backs are completely against the wall. To be like, no, this is – we win these games. Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's – yeah, Yankees are right. I found that, and it was – well, it was 2019, the Savages year. Uh, the, the yeah, Savages 2019 was. Yeah, and I, I think that this was actually my blog. It's funny you brought this up, Rob. I yeah. blogged it last week that the Yankees just have no mojo. And, like, you kind of feel weird writing it because there's almost nothing you can point to. But it's like 2017, that team had a lot of great comeback wins early against the Orioles. Gardner had a big home run in Chicago. Like, and then they became kind of the thumbs down Yankees. And they, they were just playing without expectation. Also, that was a young team. Yeah. 2018, they had a great stretch early on. And then that season died two deaths, Judge breaking his wrist, and then the four-game sweep at Fenway. And then 2019 was, I think, a lot of what the Mets already have been through this year with next man up. I, I said this, as hard as the Yankees were with injuries that whole season, I don't think they ever had a month as bad as the Mets just had in May. So, regardless, you can – say, oh, the Nationals are getting this high, you know, oh, Carrasco and Syndergaard have had setbacks. I would feel great as a Mets fan just because I think mentally those guys can say, if we got through May, why can't we get through, you know, anything else now at this point with these guys back? And I think the Yankees haven't had that this year. It's like there's a couple moments like, oh, like 
game-winning triple play. Oh, you know, they had, they've had, I think, like six walk-offs. Kluber thrown through a no-hitter. And then every step forward is just two steps back after. I think it goes back to what Rob said about them not believing in momentum and, and you know, going for the sweep. They kind of play the long game like it's like Kawhi Leonard in an NBA season. <laughs> I think you can't yeah. – I'm not, and again, we're not saying – throw Garrett Cole 120 pitches on right. April 20th or play Aaron judge needs rest days. Like I'm, I'm cool with that. But at the same time, it's like, there's just never any urgency to the point where now they've created urgency because of how far back they are. So I, I think it, it's tough to quantify and it's really my one big gripe with analytics is it kind of downplays a little bit of the mental aspect of the game and momentum. Like doesn't really believe in clutch or, or momentum or mojo or any of that right. stuff. So it's just, for me, that's, that's a big failure on Aaron Boone. And it's why I'm, I'm a lot less optimistic about the season than I was coming into it. I, I agree with all that. I think you make excellent points there because you're, you're right. Like when you think about those big wins that you think about in the past, they feel big regular season wins because of what comes afterward. Right. It's so like those triple play wins. I mean, it's incredible. Yankees have three triple plays and kudos to the Yankees for that. That's, that's a, a cool thing to do, you know? Uh, but uh, yeah, like think about like the Wilmer, the Wilmer Flores walk-off home run for the Mets, which is one of the best moments in modern Mets history, if you will, like the City Field era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the day that they got Cespedes. Um, he didn't arrive in time for that game, but the Mets were 52 and 50. And they win this game on this Wilmer Flores walk-off home run. Now, it, it's against the Nationals, pulls the Mets within two of the Nationals. If the Mets go out and they lose the next two games to the Nationals, and now the Mets are back to four behind the Nationals, and it, there's a chance that that home run kind of gets lost to history a little bit more. And it's just, oh, yeah, like that was a cool moment. Wilmer thought he got traded the, the two days before, and then he hits this walk-off home run. But because he hits that home run, they win the next two games. They're tied for first place. And now all of a sudden, like, like you guys talk about this identity, and that was really like – I wouldn't say a next man up type thing, but Terry Collins actually did a great job of the Mets had more regulars than they knew what to do with. And so it was just, right. You guys are sitting today and whoever was in the lineup did well. And it was just this six week run where it felt like they couldn't lose. Um, And yeah, like if the Mets had gone out that next day after that Wilmer Flores home run, I mean, Terry Collins could have said, all right, that was a 12 inning game. Um, So you know what? Like Daniel Murphy, you're gonna sit this one out. You know, Grant is saying you're not you're not gonna play this one, uh, but he didn't do that. You know, it was like it's a it's a big game, it's a big series, and we're gonna keep winning. Uh, yeah, I'm all in. How you handle momentum is, I think, especially now in modern baseball, is the best, the most important part of being a manager outside of press and all that stuff. How you handle how your guys feel and how your guys, you know, play based on how they feel is 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 everything. It's everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, fine. Yes. I was going to say, um, I, I, Mike, I think we kept you a lot longer than, than we were planning to. Um, I mean, this was incredible having you on. Um, hopefully we have, can have you on again in a few weeks when the, um, the deadline comes up um, yeah. based on, you know, what I, maybe the Yankees are sellers, maybe they're buyers. Hopefully the Mets are buyers um, and, you know, they get some, like you said, some good starting pitching, maybe they get a bat. So, I mean, we're definitely looking forward to that. So um, thank you again for coming on. You know, this was awesome. It's always a pleasure being on. I keep you. I you guys know I'm not sure winded, so it's always really me keeping you guys on. But I, I appreciate. Uh, it's always awesome you guys having me on. Um, yeah, means a lot. It's a lot of fun to talk about this. So 
uh, you know, good luck to your Yankees uh, getting back on track and hopefully the Mets can, can carry the momentum um, from the two out of three in their win last night. They got rained out tonight, but uh, yeah. A lot of, a lot of season left. <laughs> I just hope by the next Subway Series 9-11 weekend that both teams still have a lot to play for. I'm confident the Mets will. The Yankees will see. We will see. Yes. So, All right. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll, what? Walker. Yep. <laughs> All right.